1: missteps on a mental illness, and I don't accept that. Having a mental illness does mean that we're going to have certain difficulties, but that doesn't mean that other people have to bear the brunt. We're still responsible.
0: Who's up for a bit of therapy? We've got one of the world's most famous therapists in the form of Katie Morton to talk to us today. We obviously all have different kinds of issues and conditions as well as life circumstances, but I like to think that there are some universal truths or truths that we can all benefit from hearing and considering and learning about. And for that reason, I hope that this episode feels like a free therapy session from a top-class psychologist. Katie Morton has appeared everywhere from CNN to... ABC to the Hollywood Reporter and Huffington Post to talk about mental health and psychology. Her own YouTube page covers everything from psychopathy and schizophrenia to eating disorders and different types of depression. So do head over to the Katie Morton channel, subscribe for all encompassing, educational and helpful videos. I'm a huge fan myself, so I was really excited to get her on today. We talked today about our own mental health issues, Katie and I, and our own experiences of therapy. Like many therapists, Katie, uh, you know, sees a therapist herself or has seen a therapist at least. Uh, They all see each other. It's incestuous. But, uh, you know, I went for quite a few years and really enjoyed it myself. Um, It was a really nice way to get things off my chest. I think um, as I was hinting at Now, what I really want from this episode is for it to resonate with some listeners. So get in touch with me and or Katie to tell us what you think, whether this helps you. We go into everything from eating disorders and body image issues to the understanding that not everything is everyone else's fault. We touch on gender dysphoria, people-pleasing, and social contagion, among many, many other things. Katie gets a hell of a lot of hate online because it's just the natural course of things, isn't it, for online people and influencers and that kind of thing. And a lot of it is stemming from a video she made with a YouTuber called Shane Dawson, where she diagnosed someone as a psychopath and and wasn't too nice about psychopaths. Um, I've watched those videos, the horrible videos about her, and came to the conclusion that the whole thing is pathetic and I'm a big fan of her so we'll talk about that and what it was like for the internet to troll her to that extent or to to have the internet troll you. I've experienced a fair share of it myself and it's not really pleasant. You, You try to get a thick skin but it's very hard not to internalize a lot of the stuff that's said about you. Anyway, there's something about this episode that I really really enjoyed so I hope that comes across and that it transfers or translates to you and helps you through the day or whatever you might be going through I don't know maybe you'll hate it don't know but I hope you don't hate it. Big episodes are coming up. Saturday is an episode with Harvard Lawyer Lee. She goes by, that's what she goes by, a Harvard graduate who's a big lawyer, uh, to talk about celebrity law and Johnny Depp and Amber Heard because that's still going on, and Elon Musk and Twitter and that, that law case. Um, and then I'm talking to a man called Rutherford about tracking down his biological father only to find that he was a child murderer. But now... You're on the edge of all different aspects of mental health with Katie Morton. Katie Morton, tell me a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Yeah, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've been creating educational mental health content online since 2011. So definitely old-time creator.
0: (laughs) Is it still fun to create?
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely different, but it's still fun. I think back in the day when I first started the channel, like people, it wasn't a job. I know that sounds weird and it's hard for people to n- remember because it was so long ago, but we couldn't make thumbnails. AdSense wasn't a thing. Like they had just released, I think, the like uh, partner program and they like let 10 creators in. Like, I know this is like way back in the day. And so- there was just no... It, was, it wasn't something I thought that would ever be what it is now. It was essentially something that uh, my husband and I did as just a way for me to educate people so that people understood eating disorders. That was like the initial... I mean, the first like 50 videos are just eating disorder based.
0: That's interesting. How common do you think, and we'll get on to eating disorder disorders in particular, how common do you think mental health issues are? I mean, tens of thousands of people will listen to this, sometimes in the hundreds of thousands. How many of them will be listening right now going, oh God, this is this is me?
1: I mean, statistically speaking, they say one in four. But I'd argue with the pandemic and just the last two years of chaos if it's like a nice way to put it (laughs) I think all of us have had a tough time I honestly think especially now I've heard from a lot of members of my community and other people online other content creators that were feeling burnt out I feel I'm feeling that I think just because of the stress of the world plus the fact that our jobs weren't impacted which I know sounds weird like oh your job wasn't impacted you shouldn't be stressed out but we didn't get any breaks like Sean and I just booked a vacation in October and I haven't taken a vacation in over a year And that's not, I'm not practicing what I preach. So I apologize. (laughs) Well, the
0: thing is then you do when you're, I mean, this is how it is for me. I've just been away for a few weeks and, uh, with my, with my in-laws and everything like that. And, came back and it's just even more stressful. So you do take a vacation. And then particularly when you're making your own videos and anyone who's a freelancer will, will understand, or even if you're not a freelancer, I suppose you go back to your job in any office. It's like, oh my God, I've got so much to catch up
1: on. Right. Yeah. You have like thousands of emails. I really, I was, it's funny you say that. Cause I was just talking on a live stream with my community about this. And I really think we need to change the way that organizations, companies as a whole manage vacation. Um, Brad Feld is a, a gentleman, he's in the venture capitalist realm, not a content creator, but he does something we don't all have the luxury of doing, but it's just something to think about. He calls it inbox zero, where when he gets back from vacation, he, he deletes everything and starts over. And in his away uh-huh. message, he lets people know he's like, I'm going to be gone until, you know, let's say August 26th. So if you want to get a hold of me, your best bet is to email me on the 26th. Cause I'm deleting everything before that. And I'm like, wow. What if that's
0: the time that like, what if that's like when David Beckham emails me because he wants to come on the podcast, <laughs> Right? he doesn't get my <laughs> other email. I couldn't do it. What if someone like that, obviously David Beckham wouldn't really do that, but I was just thinking of a famous name, but what if it's something like that happens? Totally. I miss the opportunity.
1: That's uh, that. I think that's the curse. I worry about that too. Like, what if that's the one time someone reaches out and wants me on their podcast or to be a, you know, it's like the life changing email. <laughs> But we all know that like 99% of them are not (laughs) (laughs) life-changing.
0: See, for me, it's not the emails. I don't mind emails, maybe because I'm not probably not getting as many as you are yet. (laughs) So the emails I can, I don't mind. And I like, for me, it's like, oh God, I've got to do three interviews a week on this podcast. So if I'm going away for three weeks, that means I've got to do like five or six for a few weeks. And then when I come back, I'm like behind. And oh my God, and it's so stressful. I've got to get it all done. And I've got to go on other people's podcasts. That takes a lot of, I was trying to explain to a friend actually, um, who who I don't think quite got it because he and he was he was a bit upset that I haven't seen him as much as as he would have liked and all of that or been on the phone as much and I was like you don't when you do these interviews it takes like at least for me it takes all of my emotional energy and it's I very much enjoy doing it but when I get off the last thing I can think of doing is then looking at my phone and then talking to friends or having an hour long catch up with a friend right
1: one hundred percent I'm the same I know some people I'm not an extrovert in that way where people get energized I get depleted like you and it, again. And it's not that I don't enjoy it. It's just that it takes a lot because i I emotionally have to show up, right? I have to be fully present. and that's exhausting for me. Um, and yeah, I mean, I have friends that wish that I would see them more often, too. And you know, people, I feel like people who aren't in the creative space maybe don't understand what it's like to create. Even I think a lot of viewers and people, even in my community probably don't quite get what it takes to create a video or what it takes to create a podcast because, It looks so easy when it's all shiny and finished, you know? Um, But something that I am practicing this year when we take vacations, I'm just going dark online so that I'm not doing extra leading up to it. Cause I used to do that too. where like, we'd take two weeks off. So instead of putting out one video a week, we'd be prepared like we're doing two. And then it's like, then when I'm on vacation too, I'm releasing things and making sure it's shared and it's really not a break. And so, I really need to take a break.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now, I know that feeling and you just go... (gasps) ah, and I'm sure, again, I, I wouldn't want people listening to be thinking like we're, we're suggesting we're the only ones because of course, everybody has their own really stressful work life in particular, but also their social life. You touched on um, um, extroverts and introverts there. And I'm always really interested in that because uh, the, the definitions, at least for lay people who, did, who don't really know how to use those terms, seems to be changing because it used to be, I used to imagine myself as an extrovert because I love talking and I have these big conversations and I'm very energetic in them. Uh, But that's not what it really means, is it?
1: No, that's not what it means at all. And, And honestly, the thing that I think a lot of people misunderstand is we're not an introvert or an extrovert. It's like a spectrum. And most people are in the middle and just a slightly one way or the other. And an introvert is not the same as social anxiety either. A lot of people will think that's the same. Like someone with social anxiety, avoid social situations because they're worried people will think poorly of them, they'll embarrass themselves, there's, like, all these worries, right? An introvert is, like, what we were talking about, like, it's draining, and we might not have the energy to engage, so we might prefer to recharge and stay home. Now, an extrovert finds social interactions recharging. Like, uh, I had my friend Hannah years ago, Used I used to say, like, oh, like, at VidCon or Playlist, like, these creator events— I get really worn out and she would be like, just so excited, like bouncing off the walls, like full of energy. And I'd be like, I need a vacation now, you know, it was so exhausting. So I guess just consider that when you consider what side you kind of are more, I guess, closer to slightly, but again, we're all around the middle.
0: Right. So it's it's where you get your energy from.
1: Yeah. If you recharge on your own, or if you recharge with people,
0: that's so interesting. I definitely recharge on my own, um, and I, lo- I do like one-on-ones. But when there's a group, I really start to get very tired. Um, but that's also, you know, I still enjoy it. I still love being out with those people. But then I get home, and it's like, oh,
1: yeah, it's like okay, yeah, that big like relief, and it's exhausting. I think it's because I don't know. This is my hypothesis with my own situation because I'm the same. Is like I think it's because I'm putting out all of this effort and energy, like across a bunch of different people instead of just one-on-one because one-on-one can feel recharging to me if it's a really close friend because it's low lift. Like they already know me pretty well. I already know them pretty well. I can share really what's going on. I'm also kind of a people pleasery type. So like, I don't want to put too much on people. So if they're not close, close friends, then I'm like, I'm doing a lot of heavy lifting that I probably don't have to do. That's like my own problem, but you know what? I, I don't know if that makes sense, but Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, no, that ma- that makes a lot of sense. And I wonder if you and I are quite similar in that sense. Uh, I-, I saw a, th- a therapist for quite some time in Argentina. And I remember when I first went to see him, I had this idea of myself as just like this... I I think I was a little bit too positive on myself. And I think I know a lot of people are too negative on themselves. So maybe that's where I'm a bit different in some sense. I was, (laughs) it's a complicated thing. I don't really mean to say I was so positive about myself, but I just thought that a lot of the things about me were down to um, me just wanting to help people. And I did nice things for people because I wanted to help them. And this therapist was like, of course there is that side to you, but also you want them to clap and to applaud. And he was even doing like the, the, he was showing me like clapping. He was like, you want, you want that. And that changed how I thought.
1: Good job, Andrew. Good job. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. We like you. You're Mm -hmm. a good person and all this stuff. And I thought that can actually be quite um, stressful for the other person I'm talking to because I'm constantly trying to get something from them, which is applause or whatever it might be. And maybe they don't want me to do, as you talked about the heavy lifting and you say it's not necessary sometimes, right?
1: 100%. I think we are a lot alike because my therapist had told me, because I've been in therapy off and on for years, and she this is like, I don't know, maybe three years ago, four years ago. She told because I thought of myself that way too. Like, I just really like to care for people. I really like take care of people. And she was like, Do you think, you know, as a, every therapist, do you think it's possible that maybe you people pleasing is actually just you manipulating others to assuage your anxiety? And I was like, Yes, it is. It don't, yes. 100% is. <laughs> because if everybody's happy and they're happy with me, I feel better. So I just do these things to try to like take care of other, but I'm really trying to take care of myself. (laughs) I was like...
0: That changed everything for me because I started to look at it as a bit of a, because everyone's different and some people don't need me checking. Are, are you all right? Are we okay? Is everything, that's actually draining for them. And it's my own thing. And I learned that I have to sometimes just sit there and just be like, Hey, I don't feel entirely secure that this person likes me or they're happy with me. And I'm just going to have to sit with that. And that's not the worst thing in the world. Is that, does that sound
1: reasonable? 100%. And it's hard though. Cause like, I have to fight the urge like you to like check in and like text like, Oh, you know, because, because I just get in my head about crazy things like, oh, I went out with them and we, I thought we had a good time at dinner, but they haven't like followed up. And then I'm like, oh, maybe I said something that was hurtful. Maybe, maybe when I made that joke, they didn't think it was funny. And it was like, you know, I can make it into anything that it's not in like it goes zero to a hundred in like five minutes. And I just have to sit with it and be like, it's because I feel insecure. And that's, that's my problem. Like I have to figure that out.
0: Yeah. I started, and I saw it in family members of mine as well. I saw the very same thing and I saw how it can, it can drive me mad receiving messages afterwards. Was that okay? The thing I said was that, and it's like, the thing you said was fine, but I don't need to get all the messages. So, (laughs) you know, and when you see it from the other side, you can see, yeah, just, just chill. Everyone's, everything's fine. Like no one's going to hate you for something you said in the party. Totally.
1: It's just like, it's really important for us to be liked, you know? And that's, That's hard to accept sometimes, but you know, everybody has their issues and that's what I work on. That's why I always call myself like a recovering people pleaser, because for me not to over-apologize is a big thing. (laughs) And for me to not check in is a big thing. And those are both like wins for me. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing it right. Which sounds like backwards. Yeah.
0: People pleasers, in that sense. I suppose that might be what led us both into, you know, podcasting and YouTubing and that kind of thing. We want to please people on a, on a mass scale now.
1: Yeah. Which honestly was like not the smartest of, our, of us because you can't please everyone <laughs> and the internet can like turn on you just no. out of the blue just because they decide they don't like something, you know? So, yeah.
0: We've both had our share of that, I
1: think. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you, say, you were saying about one in four people has what we would call mental health issues. Do you, do you think everybody should go to therapy at some point in their lives?
1: I do. Mainly, I know people think, well, I don't really have like a problem. You don't have to have a problem. I think that's like a misconception. It is helpful if you have like a specific issue. You know, a lot of people go to like premarital counseling, let's say. So before you get married, you go in with your partner and you talk about money and things that would upset either one of you, right? that's like a reason and, or I have anxiety around X, Y, or Z. You can go in for a specific reason, but most of us kind of like even what we're talking about, most of us have our hangups that affect us in our life. We're just unaware. And I know people can say like, oh, ignorance is bliss. Yes, but no. Ignorance actually leads to more hiccups down the road and things like what I would call like the, you end up being the victim all the time because you're unaware of your role in it. Right? Like I could say, oh, um, People just are so rude, like, I'm just checking in to make sure everything went okay. I don't understand why they're so upset about that, right? I'm just checking in. But you and I know that that's like a way to assuage our own anxieties and that's not actually healthy. And I should be okay with like, hey, that went okay and I don't need them to keep like applauding or telling me they like me, like that's on me. And if we don't do that internal work or at least like put the mirror up and reflect on our own stuff, we're going to go throughout our life and like repeat these unhealthy patterns. That's why a lot of people will say like, I don't know why I keep ending up in these like toxic relationships. And like Mm -hmm. the only thing they have in common is you. (laughs) So you have to figure out what your role is. Right. And I'm not saying I haven't been part of that in my own life. I just, you have to be aware and therapy brings that awareness.
0: Yeah. I think we all, I bet everybody got suddenly in their mind, an image of could be a man or a woman, whoever it is, who constantly it's just perennially, in, in difficult relationships, always with and, – and sometimes bec- maybe because they're choosing the wrong person or whatever, but sometimes there might be something that, that, that makes their dynamic quite difficult with them, but that they don't realise they're doing, right?
1: Yeah, ways that we're attracting others, certain people that we're attracted to. I remember I used to um, go to – I would take some of my patients when I worked in the hospital programme – to what's known as like an open AA meeting. And that means that people outside of the Alcoholics Anonymous community can go. And this woman stood up and spoke about how, I think she was like two years uh, sober. So it was like, you know, her birthday and she got to give a talk. And she had said, you know, I used to be able to walk into a room and pick the most emotionally unavailable person because I didn't believe that I deserved care and I deserved to be paid attention to. And I was like, wow, the insight into your, you know, the work she'd done, right? I'd walk into room, I'd pick that person, I'd be like, I wanna date them. <laughs> and she's like, and then I would always say to myself, well, why are they such a jerk or a dick? Why aren't they paying attention? And she's like, because you picked somebody who wasn't available. Like you're trying to force, you know? And I know that's a very obvious and clearly she'd done two, at least two years of deep work, but it's true. We, we have these patterns, these things that we do, and we can try to blame other people and say, like, well, you know, my friends are always such jerks, they never show up for me in the way that I want. Well, could we instead ask, like, am I communicating my needs? Am I picking people who actually are what I'm wanting and needing? Or is it this pattern of people that are unavailable? Or people who treat me the way that maybe my parents treated me? Or, you know what I mean? Are they just bullies like I used to have in school? We, unfortunately, it's fortunate, but unfortunate, our brain tends to go towards things that we've already been through, like things that are comfortable, things that we were used to seeing that can be like patterns of behavior or things people say. And it does that because A, it's used to it and B, it's giving us another chance to change the outcome. But if we don't change, then the outcome won't change. And so it's like we keep our brains like, Hey, this will happen differently. It'll get better. (laughs) And then we just like keep doing the same thing. And it's like, no, it doesn't get better.
0: Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Man, that's so fascinating. Um, and, and and it leads me on to, I wonder sometimes, I feel like the stereotype or the cliche or the TV cliche is, uh, and we've touched on this already a little bit, that you go to a therapist to sort of be absolved of blame. Um there's that you know, the goodwill hunting, it's not your fault, it's not your fault. And what my therapist told me in Argentina, and, and you know, he was a bit Freudian, which I think is now a bit passe, um, but that's what he that's where he was at. And he was saying nearly everyone he sees he comes in and it takes about six months of him telling them it is your fault in in, not in so many words, of course, so that they start to look at themselves. And, and it is, do we need to, I don't know. Is there, is there sort of a a difference in how we need to talk about mental because it's so much, uh, I feel sometimes I'm trying to get my words right like this, because I don't want to sound like a sort of conservative reactionary or whatever. I want to, sometimes do we coddle a little bit? And should we be saying like, hey, come on, look at yourself a bit. you got to sort yourself out.
1: Yeah, no, I think in, I, you're, you're 100% correct. It does take us a while because the way that I like to think of it, maybe not like it's your fault because the finger pointing and the fault, like blaming or shaming never gets us anywhere. But I like to think of it like my therapist always says, like cleaning your side of the street. There's two sides to every relationship. There's going to be, effort and engagement and communication and apologies and all sorts of things that are going to have to take place right in a relationship and you can't take responsibility the people pleaser we can't take responsibility for the whole street because we can't clean their side of the street that's not possible and we also can't expect them to clean ours and so i think in every therapeutic process or therapeutic relationship there's the realization of what is your side of the street because again, and not to get too like therapist-y, you know, in our heads about it, but we often don't know what we're responsible for because we didn't grow up with emotionally intelligent parents. It honestly, you know, our parents do the best they can and they might not have thought about it this way, or they might not be comfortable with their own emotions enough to tell us it's okay to feel this way or that way. And so we spend our whole lives, you know, just trying to to manage what we can, not realizing, hey, I guess I should have told that person I didn't really like it when they called me that nickname. I don't go by that. I go in you know, silly things that like get at us and us not being free or feeling okay to communicate and and hold ourselves responsible for our role. Does that make sense? I feel like I might have got off topic. No,
0: no, no, it's exactly on topic, which, which leads me on, I suppose to, you know, how do you raise uh, children? What advice would you give to people? What I mean, one thing that I heard, for example, that I quite like the idea of, and I can't remember who's wrote this, but that, that it's, it's best rather than to praise your children for what they've done, uh, praise them for the work they put into it. That's, is that a good thing?
1: Yeah. Like not just, it shouldn't be just outcome based. It shouldn't be like, oh, you got an A plus or, oh, you got a hundred percent, you know? It should be, you put in a lot of work and look at it, it. I think you can also, I don't really believe you can't say like, but good job, you got a hundred percent. Like you can still praise that, but you also should acknowledge the work done because there are going to be situations. I think we've all been in those where you can put in all the work, but it, it you don't get that hundred percent or, you know what I mean? You might still get a B, but for you, a B is great, right? Because everybody's different. Um, I definitely think that, I think a huge thing that parents can do is acknowledging and expressing their emotions to their children and letting them know that it's okay to feel that kind of way. And I think the most common thing that we tend to do with kids is like, um, Oh, don't cry. You know, we try to like appease instead of just allowing them to experience it and saying, well, what happened? You seem really sad. Are you sad? You know? And that teaches children to acknowledge what the emotion is, communicate about it and know that it's accepted. Versus, you know, you know, I, not that people say this as much anymore, thank God, but like boys don't cry or like brush it off, you know, get up. Like I was told that I grew up in the country, so it was a very rough and tumble kid. I have the scars on my knees and elbows to prove it, you know, and it was always like, just get up. We'll wash it out. You're no big, no big deal versus like that had to hurt. Well, let's go inside. Let's take care of that. You know, it that kind of acknowledgement and acceptance of a range of emotions, even anger you know, I think parents need to learn how to apologize to their children when they lose their temper. Because being a parent, I mean, I don't have kids, but it is very, I can't ama- imagine a more trying job, right? You're sleep deprived. They ask a lot from you. And so you're going to snap. But when you do, it's important that you come back to your child and you say, I'm so sorry, you know, mom or dad. I got angry. And that that's because I didn't get enough sleep and I shouldn't have taken it out on you. You know, and I think again, just that acknowledgement of emotion, the acceptance of it is what we're really lacking.
0: I think one of your most popular or some of your most popular videos about emotionally unavailable mothers, which is again, sort of chimes with what you're uh, you're saying. And I wonder if that's also, you know, why that's so popular uh, as, as a video, why so many people have gone to click on that and, and because they must be experiencing something like that themselves. Um, and maybe if it's a little unfair on some mothers because I guess it's the stereotype that the mothers are so loving and that maybe the, the, the dads are getting away with being a bit uh, emotionally distant, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think traditionally, yeah. Dads don't have to show up emotionally. Women stereotypically tend to be what I call like the emotional Sherpas of the family. They like carry the weight, you know? And if our mother, and again, emotionally is interesting because it looks good on paper so our life will look fine, right? We have a house. Our parents fed us. We were clothed. We were probably put in a good school. Helped. They helped with homework. All sorts of stuff like that. But what they didn't do was kind of what I'm talking about is like that showing up with emotion and asking how your day was and actually caring and listening and following up. And when we seem upset, even if we're a teenager, we're like, get out of my room. They're like, well, I'm here if you need me. Like, And actually being there. I think a lot of Again, parents did, don't aren't comfortable with their own emotions, therefore they don't know how to help their child with them. And then we grow up thinking that we're too much, that we're not like lovable, that and we can feel misunderstood or it, it can cause a lot of anxieties essentially. And so I think that's it's way more common than we probably realize because again, I think people assume like quote unquote "bad parents means I was neglected, like not fed, not clean didn't have a, a steady or stable home life. You know, we think of those things versus the like when you had a bad day, did you feel like your parents showed up for you? You know, when you went through that first breakup, did you feel like you could at least talk to them a little bit? You know? And usually the answer is no. And I think that's why people are feeling that.
0: Yeah. I think my parents were there if I if if I had a breakup or something trying to, I don't even remember, they'd, they'd be listening to this going, what do you mean, of course we were there, we all but I, it, it is, as you said, said before, it is the most unforgiving of jobs, uh, because mm-hmm. the kids don't appreciate their parents, and also, what, what isn't said enough is like, kids are really boring um, I've got friends who've got kids now, and it, this isn't me having opinions about them, because it's, it's them, it's the parents telling me like, God, I've got to listen to my kid just sort of forming words and saying nonsense, and it's easy for, for me, I go and hang out with their kids for an hour, and then I go away for like six months and don't go near a kid. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> uh, imagine every day for like 20 years. Oh my God.
1: I know. And it is, especially with little kids when they're learning, like they learn, we 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 express and learn through stories and storytelling, which is why little kids will come back and they'd be like, oh, mom, so who's outside? And this is, and it's like scrambled and like the words don't put together and you're like, I don't fully get what happened. You saw, you saw a dog? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, It's so slow going and it is like taxing, right? But it's, it's so important. And I think more than the like buying them gifts, it's like sitting with children and having experiences together is what's more important, which I know is hard and like laborious, but key to healthy growth.
0: I'll be like, oh, I've just been doing an interview with Katie Martin. I'm not talking, to, listening to this shit about a dog anymore. <laughs> I'm Go too away. Tired. I'm not emotionally available.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> but then it's okay to express that and say, you know, I'm feeling kind of worn out. Do you mind if you, can you give me 10 minutes or 20 minutes, you know, of communicating the exhaustion is better than lashing out.
0: Mm. I will try try and be patient when the day comes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: so um again I, I want to sort
0: of I, I guess that 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 point I was making that I worry about being too conservative about or whatever and because i i 'm not usually on most social issues, and I go to therapy and I like therapy and stuff but i i do you ever worry about? again there's so much focus on mental health nowadays that there's a concern of things like social contagion and uh if you tell someone who's anxious that they're anxious because i've had forms of anxiety and if other people start talking about it i start to feel it um and and sometimes a failure to act if you um you're told you I've, I've heard some people say what well, people on this show um that they had for example they were told they had dyslexia so they'd never they felt like they'd never amount to it. it's like oh well you've got this and so now you don't have to
1: do you know what I mean? Yeah, like a, it's not just confirmation bias, like you're looking out for like reasons or things that could go wrong, but it's also like self-fulfilling prophecy. Excuses, I guess. Yeah, 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 like sabotage. Yeah, and I think a couple a couple things. I don't think uh, like social contagion, I, I believe to be truthful and I know pe- people can disagree and that's fair, but I believe that we can attach to like one symptom of something like depression or anxiety or OCD and we can be like oh my god I have that which is important right you know about your experience but that's why it's also vital to see a professional to better understand if oh I just had that one symptom and I'm not minimizing that symptom but I have that symptom and that's what I need to work on I don't have panic disorder or major depressive disorder And it's important to know that and to understand it so you have tools to fix it. The one thing I don't like about the internet with that kind of social contagion is the like ruminating, wallowing in it versus seeking support and management tools, you know? And I know it's hard. Like people are like, but I sometimes you have hard days. Yeah, but I'm just saying that like as long as we're working to to feel better, do better, all good. Um, But then there's also the component of like blaming our missteps or wrongdoings on a mental illness. And I don't accept that because we all have our own ish and we're responsible for what we do in our world. And I know they like having a mental illness can make us more vulnerable to certain things. Like, oh, if I'm super depressed or anxious, I can be more irritable. Well, then it's on me to recognize when I'm irritable and maybe not go to that lunch because I'm gonna be not my best, you know? And telling them, hey, I'm feeling a little worn out today. I can't come. It's not going to be good for anybody. Being honest about that. Because having a mental illness does mean that we're going to have these certain difficulties, but that doesn't mean that other people have to bear the brunt of whatever that is. We're still responsible.
0: Yeah. I like that. And it's something, again, I'm having to sort of work through myself to an extent and, and, you know, I, nothing so bad, you know, I, I know people have really bad stuff going on. So, but that kind of anxiety. And I remember I said to a friend recently, I didn't want to go on his stag do, which I think, I think you, do you say stag do or bachelor party?
1: Bachelor, but I know what a stag is. I have a bachelorette this weekend, actually, <laughs> that I'm going to. Oh,
0: well, I hope, I hope you enjoy it. Um, they can be enjoyable, right?
1: They, I mean, this one will be because yeah. we're all older, I mean, I'm 38, so it's, like, it's a little more, we're, like, going to an a 80s, uh, it's called Spasmatics is the band, so we're going to, like, an 80s band thing, and staying in, so it's not, I like, I don't want to go to a strip club, like, I'm too old, I just can't, I can't. <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to go when this I was 22, food. I don't want to go when I'm 38. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Me neither. And, and my, my friends, it was in, in Barcelona. So it was like a trip oh, for a few days. Yeah. So, and he's, he's my best friend. So I said, like, I, I called and I was like, maybe we can go, I can take you out somewhere else for a really nice thing. But he was quite upset. So I had to go anyway. Like he wasn't really, he was just like, Oh, I get it. And I could see he was upset. So I went anyway, but even then I made sure like, I'd, I'm just going to leave when I leave each night and just go home early and, and, and just, you know, so I think that's, that's an important going back to social contagion, I guess I guess the place where that's like bigger people talk about that a lot right now is with gender and stuff at schools. Um and I don't know what you know, do you do you have to in, in your or do you deal with sort of gender dysphoria and things like that? And also if you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to, because I know it's it's a really controversial topic.
1: It is very controversial and it really shouldn't be. Um gender dysphoria does exist. Trans people are trans. It's just not I think I without hurting anybody's feelings, we're making it into a bigger deal than it really is because the percentages are very low. I want to say it's like 0.04% of people are trans. And by the amount that we're talking about it, you'd think it was like one, one in three, you know? You'd think it's like everybody. And it's not to to say that trans people shouldn't have rights and there shouldn't be protections and things like that, but the amount of news and media that it's getting I feel is disproportionate with the actual number of people affected. And sometimes when we do this, when we make it into something that it's not, it actually hurts the cause because now that it's so, or at least in the States, now that it's so politically driven, which always ruins everything, let's just be honest. So because everybody's been so me versus you, left versus right, rah, 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 now I think it's put trans people in more danger because people are so heated about something that technically a lot of people don't even need to know about. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I, I, and I don't know, I mean, I'd love to hear from the trans community what they think about that, but I feel like it's caused a lot more danger than it, it's almost like done the opposite of what we wanted. I think that people should educate themselves if they have someone in their life who's transitioning or talking about it, or even just talked about gender dysphoria not being comfortable with their body, things like that. We should educate ourselves and there should be educational content available but it shouldn't be so raw in your face all the time.
0: Yeah, that happens so often, there doesn't it? There's like yeah. a key issue, and it becomes politicized. And you know, I think abortion started that way as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Ronson, a journalist who came on here, he talks about the how that started in the states because conservatives didn't care about abortion, but they suddenly did because of a variety of reasons. It, apparently, it's not even mentioned in the Bible. I think I'm not sure.
1: It's I, not that I know of. I mean, I was raised in the church. I don't attend anymore. Like, once I could leave, I was like, bye. Mm. Um, But, (laughs) you know, to each their own. But I I think that there are a lot of things that people get whipped into a frenzy about. The one thing that I think is interesting is, like with COVID, for instance, fear is an incredible motivator for us. Our nervous system is wired to seek out threat and prepare us, like ready us, like fight, flight, freeze, right? What can I do? And so the whole, I mean- I don't know if you recall this, but in the States, Trump was in office and was rushing to get a vaccine ready. And the the people on the left were like, I'm not taking any vaccine that Trump is a part of, as if he's like a scientist in the lab, like mixing it. I don't know. But people <laughs> were like, I'm not taking it. Then he got he didn't win the election, Biden's in office, the vaccine comes out because of all of that work, whether people want to admit it or not, you know, that was during the Trump administration, <laughs> things are rolling out and then then the left was like telling the right, you need to get the vaccine. It was such a weird like why does that have anything to do with anything? Why wouldn't you just be like I, and that's that's where I feel again the, the politicizing of things always ruins it. And can't we just all agree? Yes, we totally are. And it's the me versus you. And that fear, right? The fear of like, oh my God, I could die or someone in my family could die turned people against each other. It was crazy. And I still look back on that and I'm like, wow, there's so many like interesting sociological learnings from the last two years because that will never make sense to me. You know, why would a vaccine have anything to do with anybody other than, hey, I can protect myself. Do I want to do that? I'll do that. You know.
0: Yeah, look, we're not immune to 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 use to use a, a, a word that related to that, we're not immune from that. And I mean, I know that I, I turned from this sort of, uh, maybe a liberal or centre-left guy into the, like a anti-mask lunatic. Uh-huh. I was a lunatic just going around like, uh-huh. I'm not wearing a mask, I'm not wearing a mask. Even a, And I've got a friend who's a doctor and he works in like lung things. Uh-huh. And he was saying to me like, we well, probably should. He was like, it's, it's not as effective as you might like it to be, but it's it's you should wear it, it is effective. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, but... It annoys me that other people aren't admitting that it's annoying to wear it. That's what it was. I felt like if everyone could admit we have to wear it, but it's annoying, I'd go, okay, maybe I'll put it on then, you know?
1: Oh, yeah. We turn into petulant children, right? Because nobody likes to be told what to do. Yeah. I'm an adult. I make my own decisions, goddammit. I'm not doing it 100%. And I mean, even I, Sean and I at the time lived in Santa Monica in California and People were crazy about mask wearing, and I'm, fi- I'm fine with whatever people are comfortable with. That's I'm not arguing it's effective or ineffective, but we were walking outside, not near anybody, and a guy half a block down turned around the corner and screamed at us, cover your faces for fuck's sake. I mean, it was just so mad, and we are like, Jesus criminy. We're outside. We're not near you. If you want us to walk six feet away, we will, but it was, so- and I was like, wow, people are so scared. Like and that's what's happening. Do
0: you think it might be something about your your faces?
1: Maybe, maybe he was like hideous. Cover it. <laughs> Get <rid of> that. <laughs> Why are you outside? You should stay inside only. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm obviously joking, but I think my mind would go there about myself. I don't know.
1: Oh, funny. <laughs> <laughs> it was just such a shocker because oh, we in no way meant to, you know, upset anybody. But it was. It's been a wild ride, and it's like almost crazy to even think of what we've been through and how we've pitted against each other when we don't, again, going back to even like the trans issue, it turns something into a more harmful experience than it needs to be. The, like the CDC in the States is saying now, like our communication was poor. And I'm like, yeah, you think like, I, I don't know. What's what, the CDC? Uh, the center for disease control. So it's like our, our governing body that tells us how to manage. Like we have a chicken pox outbreak or polio or, you know, COVID. And, they didn't communicate clearly they downplayed certain things and uh, and they were they were doing it they even said like to try to get a certain result and i'm like no you should have just tried to educate so then people could make decisions for themselves and they, they're they admitting it, but it's, yeah, it was, it was kind of shitty.
0: No, it was. And and look, I do not just for any, just to be sure for people, I, I do now know from, you know, my f- friend telling me that you should wear a mask. It should have, you know, during the height of it, if you're indoors and near people, particularly elderly people and stuff like that. But I still hated wearing it.
1: I didn't like it either. Nobody liked it. It's not comfortable. You know, even my friends who are...
0: Some people loved it.
1: Well, people who have social anxiety, some of my patients liked not having to show their face as much and not having to emotionally engage sure. but then other people were really affected like a lot of the autistic community cannot have things like on their face like that and it was extreme like we think it's uncomfortable it was like the next level for them um yeah i, I wasn't a fan but if it does you know
0: no no whatever but some people loved it. I think. I mean, there was there was that benefit of, particularly in London. You know, in the in the winter, that Ooh, it was actually yes. quite warm because you're breathing yep. back on yourself. So there was that. And then also, I think some people who want we talk about the tribal side. And I got a bit tribal, and I sort of I'm a bit ash- slightly ashamed of that, but I joke about it now. But on the other side of that, were people. You know, the mask was a very much a sign of. You know, and and being able to be authoritarian towards you on the street, even though you're nowhere near them and and have sort of a righteous excuse to be able to do it. 100%.
1: And that's the that's what I I'm hoping will come back from this, like me versus you that's happening. You know, like uh, like if you did see someone wearing a mask or not, like that shouldn't be any kind of virtue signal, you know, Um, it's just a personal choice. You get to choose what you think is good for you and your family, right? End of story. But we did, I mean, you're having it, it's all all over the world, I definitely feel like, but in the UK and in the States, we definitely have this, like, polarizing political climate. And it's really unhealthy, you know, because most of us are in the middle somewhere. It's almost like the introvert-extrovert. We're like, we're all just, like, slightly one way or the other versus you know, what they make us out to believe that like, oh, if someone's a Democrat, they're this. And if someone's a Republican, they're that. And conservative or liberal. And you're like we're more alike than we than media wants us to think.
0: Yeah. And it's also, I guess, you know, we both have YouTube channels and podcasts and things, and we get to hear probably from the the ones who are most in favor of our work, but also those who are most against it. It's, it's rare that I, do, I rarely get a message going, I quite like what you do. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it's either like, I love it. Thank you so much for producing this stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's love. Or people who are just crazy mad angry and like if, if i hate a thing i just don't say but how have you dealt over the over the years with like you know because you've had quite a lot of flack for there was a particular time of course on online uh
1: shane dawson yeah yeah
0: with shane dawson you were talking about you know psychopathy i think and the whole world lost its mind with you
1: i mean it's i it's still so silly to me, and Shane and I have talked about it over and over again because we were like, it was such a shocker. We honestly didn't see it coming. There's even a video we created that will never see the light of day of us being like, wow, we did some good. And it was nice. You know, it's so, it's almost hilarious. Like maybe in a couple of years we'll release it randomly just for shits and giggles because it's so ridiculous. Um, but people were mad that, at least from my understanding, that I described people who have antisocial personality disorder, which is someone who's a sociopath as like you can feel them because it feels weird to be around someone feels kind of icky i use the word icky people really didn't like that but it does feel that way when someone has no empathy for other people when they essentially don't care and i think what i learned through that is that it's really difficult for those of us with empathy to even imagine what it would be like to feel that way because they felt bad for sociopaths and they thought it was bad of me as a mental health professional to talk poorly about people who harm others and don't give any shits about it it was very interesting i'll never get it but I, essentially the way that i dealt with it first of all those people don't know me and they can think what they want you know that's fine um i it was hard it was, it was like i don't I don't do what I do like I don't want to be famous I'm not trying to be an actress or like there's no end goal here in this like I don't know and so it was really hard because like my whole goal is just to educate people and I was just I was reading from the DSM too which is kind of funny that people were like mad about that. Well, can I just, just intervene
0: just, just to say, if you did have those sort of aspirations to not be an actress, but to be a a well-known acclaimed therapist or whatever it might be, why should that be? Why shouldn't you want that? Why, why should you now be attacked because you want to be recognized for what you do?
1: I guess that's, it's just me because people like to pull people down. Like if they think they're getting too high, like that's what I think happens to Shane all the time is he gets too popular and then people have to like try to belittle him or or bring up stuff from a long time ago and try to make it into this big conspiracy. And I don't know what it is about people not being able to be excited for someone else's success. Like I, I get excited when people that I know in my life are doing well and people are creating good content like you. That's awesome. I should be stoked for you. I should be excited. That's great. Other people putting good things out there. Why wouldn't I want that? You know, like, it, I don't know what there is this feeling of like, if you're doing well, that takes from me. I don't know why that would ever happen. There's a distrust, I think,
0: around like an ulterior motive people think you have. So when I, I on TikTok, I started a TikTok recently and I put up a clip that was one minute long and I put part one and then I put part two later. And part one got a, a few million views somehow. And it was great. And then all the comments loads of comments were like, why don't you do it just as one long video? And I knew on TikTok, it's not going to do as well. So all the accusations were, you're just trying to get views. And I find that the strangest thing to accuse someone on YouTube or TikTok of as if like, well, what else do you think I'm doing here? Like, do you know how long it takes to do this stuff? Like, of course I want views.
1: Do I put it out to get zero views for no one to watch it? Why would I do that? Yeah, there is that weird. And I don't quite understand that from like a sociological standpoint, why that upsets people. I I have to hypothesize that it comes from kind of that, like you sold out. Do you know, like back in the day, I mean, again, I'm a little older, so I I grew up without the internet, thank God. And when a band would like, they were underground, you get to see them at these small venues. You'd be like, yeah. And then they'd like get a record deal and people would be like, you sold out. And I was always like, no, they need to get paid for their craft. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what do do you expect? Um, And that's definitely, continued into youtube and yeah it's like people get upset about the fact that like we make a living doing this but i have to say like in the whole shane thing what i realized is that like it says a lot more about the other people than it does about me because i never put out any content with malicious intent like i said like shane and i thought we did something good and we we it wasn't there was no like secret it wasn't a secret we weren't like out to get anybody it was he thought it'd be cool to educate people about it because he thought there was a lot of misinformation about what it was. And that was really it. And that and I was like, Yeah, I can do that. I'll be part of that. Like I look back and like, Katie, you had no idea what you were getting into. <laughs> but you know, what are you going to do? And the
0: worst part about it, and I I wonder if these people really are empaths. They, they feel empathy for psychopaths, but then they want to have a go at you. Um, you know, maybe some of them are psychopaths. And if you do have 1% of the population as psychopaths, well, in America, that's what is that 3.5 million people all with access to the internet. Yeah. So, I mean, and they would know as well if they've been watching you that you've had your own uh, mental health issues. So that that must have been a really difficult time for you.
1: It was, I mean, to be honest, I didn't get online very much. Like my husband, Sean, managed all the comments and posting of things because there was probably like a three-month period where I just couldn't. And I was just exhausted. I think the first like three weeks or so was the worst. And every once in a while, I'll still get some random comment on TikTok or something. There, well, Someone will say something, you know, like, aren't you that shitty psychologist? I'm like, first of all, I'm a therapist, you know. Um, but I just, I just uh, completely delete them and block them. I don't really care. If that's what you're here for, just go somewhere else. There's, Like you said earlier, you said if I don't like something, I don't leave a comment. Me neither. I just move on. There's so much content. If you don't like me, that's fine. I don't expect everybody to like me. But I do expect like, for us to have some sort of like human-to-human respect that you realize that I'm a human on the other end, and I realize you're a human on the other end. Therefore, when people leave shitty comments, I don't comment back like, well, fuck off. You know, I just, I'm like, I just... Delete it and remove them. <laughs> Much more passive aggressive. I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> no, well, you're absolutely right, Tony. I mean, they're not treating you like a human, and you are, you know, it's ridiculous. I do want to get on to, um, eating disorders and those kinds of things, because those are things that I, I, I find eating disorders really hard to – I suppose uh, any mental health issue that I don't have is hard for me to get my head into because I don't have it, and and I have a lot of different ones. With eating, I, I suppose I can I can empathise with that feeling of, of needing to eat loads, but the the one of not eating at all is so – because I'm hungry. Can, can you describe to me what, what that's like in your own experience with that?
1: Yeah. Um, when it comes to eating disorders specifically, the thing that everyone needs to remember – is that their coping skills. So in the same way that you or I might drink more when we have a stressful day, or, oh, it's been a week, I'm gonna go get a beer or a cocktail or something, right? Think of it in that way. Or some people will like shop, like a lot of people will like, oh, they buy some things for themselves to treat yourself. Like, consider that those are ways that you cope with a stressful or overwhelming experience. But imagine the only way you know how to do that is to control certain things within yourself like food. And so people will overeat or undereat really because that gives us something to think about that's not the thing that's really bothering us. So it's essentially one big distraction. And I find the restriction versus the binging, like you're saying like, oh, I can understand like eating loads, like people wanting to overeat. It's actually the most common eating disorder. So I'm not surprised, you know, that you're like, oh, yeah, but we don't talk about binge eating disorder as much because it doesn't look, quote unquote, look like an eating disorder, right? People being a little heavier is like just part of our world, but it is the most common. Um, But I find that people who binge tend to do that kind of impulsive binge-like behavior in other ways in their life. So it's more about how we've coped in other ways. So my binge eaters tend to overshop or overspend in general. They also tend to like binge on relationships where they'll like go in all in real quick and then like then have, you know, some remorse or feel like really attached too quickly. So that kind of goes in there. My patients who are more restrictive, so more of the anorexia nervosa kind of type, They tend to restrict themselves in love and affection. So they tend to not have relationships, tend to be more isolated, tend to not want to spend money on themselves, kind of like the opposite of it. And anyway, all in all, for anybody out there who has a tough time understanding what they are and are like, oh, just eat, or like, just don't eat as much. It's not as simple as that. It's actually not about the food. It's about this false sense of control. And the fact that that like, quote unquote, control is a distraction from the real pain, which might be a past trauma. It might be work-life stress. It might be unfulfilling relationships. It could be, or all those things.
0: So how do you help a friend or family member? And is the help different for somebody who binges and somebody who, who doesn't eat?
1: The help from a therapeutic standpoint is the same. I know a lot of people, it's kind of interesting. My eating disorder patients will always, there's like this hierarchy where they think that like, oh, if I'm restrictive, I'm like, I have more control over the eating disorder versus the ones who binge or binge and purge. And no, it's all the same. And it's treated the same because again, it's a coping skill. So what we're really trying to do is number one, figure out why it's there. There's this old uh, analogy called Chesterton's fence. And in short, what it is, is this guy's like walking along a road and he sees this little chunk of fence and the fence isn't attached to anything. It's just sitting there on its own. And he tells the landowner, he's like, you want me just to pull this out? why is this chunk of fence here? And the landowner's like, well, if you can tell me what purpose it serves, because I put that in for a reason. If you can tell me what purpose that that fence serves and we don't think it serves that purpose anymore, then and only then can you pull it out. And that's therapy, right? If we have a coping skill, like an eating disorder, what purpose is it serving? We can't just try to get rid of it until we understand what purpose it serves. Otherwise, we're just going to plunk another fence back in. We're going to have a different type of eating disorder, another behavior that comes up. Maybe we'll... You know, overspent, or maybe we'll have an addiction because we still need that thing. That fence still needs to be there. So we have to figure out what is it distracting me from? Like I said, trauma or, uh, you know, unfulfilling relationships or something else. Then we can work to heal that. And that's when the actual, like, getting other coping skills to replace the eating disorder. So when I feel like binging or when I feel like restricting, instead I call a friend, I go for a walk, I, uh, you know, journal. There's a bunch of different things we can do.
0: Well, and how how optimistic do you feel if you're seeing a patient or you know somebody like that 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 you can help? Because just anecdotally, I'm thinking that people I know who have been like that tend to stay more or less that that in that in that loop or in that in that rut to an extent.
1: Yeah, recovery is hard, but totally possible. I like to think of the recovery almost akin to the way we talk about addiction. That like relapses will happen. I know a lot of people because. A lot of my eating disorder patients tend to be perfectionists. So they're like, well, once I decide to get better, then A to B to C to D, I'm recovered. Boom. No, it's like more tangled and one step forward, two steps back sometimes. Um, But I do, if the patient has any shred of want to get better, then yes, it can happen. If we're not there yet and we don't want to get rid of it and we can't imagine our life without it and we're not interested... And that doesn't shift even when we realize what purpose it's serving. It might might not be ready for us. But when we are ready, you can recover 100%. I just think that the assumption that once we decide to recover, we're all better isn't is something we have to let go of. Relapse happens, just like anything. Think of like people who are trying to change behaviors in general. Oh, I want to work out more. Oh, I want to be more social we know that we like fall off the wagon, right? We like go back into our old ways because it's easier and it's the same with eating disorder treatment. We'll, we'll slip up, but we can get back up and do it again with the right support and the right tools. We can definitely recover.
0: Do you, do you feel comfortable? And if not, we can edit it out talking about your own issues with, with the uh, body image issues.
1: No, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Recently I put out a video talking about my own relationship with my body and exercise in particular. And it, I think it's funny because forever people are like, Oh, you, did you have an eating disorder? Is that way you understand eating disorders? And technically I didn't, but I, I had that thought process. Like, I think I understand how, how it, how we operate when we're trying to do that. And for me, um, a couple of things, I mean, when I was in high school, um, for a little period of time, my parents were having like a difficult time in their relationship and we started therapy. That's how actually I started my own therapy process at the age of 15. And it felt my friend's parents were getting divorced and I was terrified that my parents were going to get divorced. They ended up not, but it it felt very out of control. And that I was also a perfectionist, a people pleaser. Uh, Looking back, I definitely had anxiety (laughs) and it wasn't really treated. And so I would run, I would like run to cope. And so when I felt too stressed out, I would run. And that followed me into, so let's say like 15. I also played soccer. So that was like part of it. Like running was part of like the conditioning. So I would be like, I'm training for soccer. My mom was like, Mm. good for you. (laughs) Like, when would that be bad, you know? Um, And so, but it wasn't healthy. It wasn't done in a healthy way. It was done not to take care of myself or prepare. It was done to numb out. And so did that all the way until my dad passed away. Um he had kidney cancer, I had a kidney removed, went on dialysis and ended up having a heart attack when I was twenty, twenty-four. 24.
0: Um, oh my God, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was,
1: Oh, thank you. It's, I mean, not to say it's okay. Cause I still miss him, but I've been in therapy, you know, twice a week for years trying to process it and it's okay. But even when he passed away, I was still trying to run. And I remember my therapist being like, mm, do you think maybe like this isn't good for you? And, I was like, well, of course it's good for me. Like running's healthy, like cardiovascular health. And she was like, but you know, it's like getting in the way of your life. And she was right. Like I wouldn't go out with friends because I hadn't ran enough. Like I had to do a certain amount. I had to keep doing more. And it was definitely my way of like trying to cope without really coping. And and, I mean, even being a person in this world, I could say a woman, but I think it's a person like, being acutely aware of like how you look and what people think again, like that people pleaser, I think gets into like, we want people to like us. We want to look presentable. We want, and that definitely fed into the need to like stay a certain size and, you know, all of that. And yeah. So it wasn't until I was probably like 24, 25 that I stopped. And if you see me running now, it's because someone's chasing me. So call the police. But <laughs> I would never, you would never catch me running <laughs> anymore.
0: You must have, and, and this sounds facetious, but I don't mean it that way at all. I really mean the question. When you must have really related to Forrest Gump because he is dealing with emotions in the same way. By he was trying yeah, to, co- which I didn't, I couldn't relate to in the same way that it must have affected you that film
1: yeah it's funny i don't know if i realized it when i first watched the film but since people have talked about it and i'm like oh yeah yeah it was because he was he didn't know what else to do he just started running and i think a lot of times it's funny the physicality so we do know like the therapy when i put my therapist hat on i'm like oh well our nervous system is feeling threatened right my life is in peril things feel out of control i feel threatened it cues up energy for fight flight when we don't use that then we can feel worse. And so the action, like running, is actually makes you feel better because it releases that. But the thing that it's missing is like that emotional component. And so I think that's why a lot of us can feel compelled to exercise, you know, when when we're feeling stressed. And it is a good stress reliever. I don't want people to think like, oh, you can't moderately exercise. I do moderate yoga is like what I do mostly is like save my life. Cause it, you can't really get real hardcore. I mean, I guess you maybe could, but I don't really know how yoga is just like slow and, <laughs> and you have to like be okay with yourself. Um, but you know, we do feel that urge to move and that is healthy as long as it's not again, getting in the way of you living your life. Like for me, it was becoming all consuming and that's not a good thing.
0: Even yoga was too much for me. I did it um, a few times when I was in Argentina, and I I thought I was going to die because I did this move when I was on my back, and then then my (laughs) legs had to go over my head, like to to the wall, and I sort of went. Oh, plow pose. Oh, I guess Mm -hmm. so. (laughs) It was too much, and I was sort of crushing my lungs, but I had lost balance, so I couldn't then get back up, and I was going, and I think my girlfriend thought I was joking, and eventually they sort of pushed me over, and I was like, like, I'm so unfit, so, you know dangerous
1: i mean it's not about fitness (laughs) that that's honestly probably a bad yoga teacher and no shame on them but they should always offer alternatives especially (laughs) when you're starting out because sean has tried yoga with me too and he has trouble with because he's not as flexible in certain things you know you can't bend in certain ways you're like what is this and so you should have other ways you can other things you can do and they should walk you through like start out this way if this feels okay go to this My teacher, Brian Kest, is really good at that. It's important. (laughs) So you don't have that moment of like, oh. (laughs) I think my
0: teacher was fine. It's just that I'm, I, she underestimated. she'd never come up against something as immobile and inflexible as, as me. I was a, I was a challenge. Um, Where should we send people, obviously to your YouTube channel like, where do you want to send people to go and have a look?
1: oh yeah if they're interested in mental health educational content i too have a podcast called ask katie anything where i answer audience questions every thursday and then on youtube katie morton is my channel i release a video every um tuesday and obviously tiktok instagram for any kind of short video content well
0: everybody should go check it out i'm a subscriber i love what katie does um thank you katie for being on the edge
1: yeah thanks for having me
0: Thank you so much, Katie. I really appreciate the time and effort from such a big star coming on the podcast. Not only that, but she filmed it with the most beautiful setup and sent me the files after so it looks absolutely stunning on on the Edge with Andrew Gold YouTube channel. Come say hi on Monday or Thursday evenings. You might catch this one because it comes out later than the audio one in the live premieres of the video version on YouTube that's when I put them out and I'm in the chat I say hello sometimes the guest comes along as well and we all chat with a big community of what we're calling edge hogs at the moment the on the edge fans while you're there on YouTube that is go subscribe to Katie Morton's fantastic channel she has so so many cool videos that explain how our minds work I can't recommend her channel enough thank you all for joining and do get in touch to let me know what you thought of this episode as I was saying in the intro it means a lot to me and it's just a chat that i was enjoying so much and i could have gone on for hours that's all for now i'll see you next week when joining me are a man who tracked down his biological father to find out he was a child murderer and harvard lawyer lee on celebrity law cases elon musk and twitter and all that stuff see you then okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club